0: Have a bit of a what I would call a I, I would think a fairly to me it's a difficult message um, I, the title of the title of my message is the efficacy of church life you know it's I wasn't aware that uh, Kev was going to be mentioning about uh, you know over the last two years the burdens that you know many of us have been carrying and today The the church is i've been reading this book on unity and uh talks about just the fracture that's in churches today uh when you come to church it's about people that are double jabbed triple jabbed no jab um, jab exemptions Uh, mask, mask exemptions, exemptions, wearing masks, do I wear, do I, should I not, should I, Uh, if something happens, then, you know, I've got to isolate for seven days, so we've got different camps in church, the church isn't the church that we are familiar with, so I want to put to you, I want to put this to you, does the future have a church? Does the future have a church? Um, We heard today that, you know, our our tithes and offerings are down. And it's not just us. It's probably, you know, various different churches. Our tithes and offerings are down by 40%. Uh, Our childcare income is down by 25%. Our income from our um, uh, Cardinia, which is our Jacobs estate, is down by 70% we hire this place because thankfully we're not a church that just occupies this place two days a week, but sometimes even seven days, but even that has been reduced because there are genuine concerns. And in fact, I'll put it in the context of fear, right? I mean, we were we had to isolate for seven days because uh, one of my kids had tested positive. And you know, then it becomes really, oh gosh, I can't even go out, I've got to be very careful, you know, do I inform my neighbors, do I don't, do I this, do I that, you know, there are just so many, who else was with us, and so there are so many things to consider that it creates the sense of anxiety, creates the sense of concern, so concern begets concern, and it begets care, begets worry, right, so this is not a message to put any one of us down, but this is a message to talk about the reality of what it is, right, we face a reality, whether you like it or not, that people don't come because they are concerned. We face that as a reality. You've made choices, right? So we all exist in different camps, like it or not. We make our choice not to get vaccinated. We make our choice to, right? We all feel we've got choices, and so we make it based on that. But I was just challenged this week by someone who put something to me that has really, I feel, floored me. And got me to really, really think, and really reevaluate my own, my, my, my just just my own, uh, you know, theology as such, and my own basis of my trust in God. And me as a pastor and my calling. Is that the decisions that I make? Is it based on mission or is it based on my choice? So when I talk about the efficacy of church life. And why does the church exist? Why does the body of Christ exist? We've got to look at it from that context. The Apostle Paul wrote that Christians were not to be divided, but were to maintain the unity of faith, speaking the same things and being of the same mind and judgment. Am I right? We, as we look through Scripture. So as I'm sharing some things, as your mind floats or your emotions get worked up and and you find, man, I don't quite feel comfortable with what he's saying, just give me a chance. And give the Holy Spirit a chance. Hallelujah. And and hear with your heart, not with your mind. Here with your heart today. Is such a thing really, really possible? Unity in faith. Speaking the same things and being of the same mind and judgment. Is such a thing really possible? Or due to our fallen nature, the damage of denominationalism as well? And truthfully, people generally can't seem to agree or get along most times is simply too much to overcome. Do we seriously think that there is one body and do we seriously believe that the church is united? That's a question I want to leave with us today because you've got to examine that in its true essence, in the essence of the word of God. Not in what the world presents or not your own notion and idea and your experience. I've got, I've been a believer for 40 years so I've got my own notion of what unity is and often thought it was. But I doubt we are. We have a statement on this side. One church. One heart. (laughs) But I've, I've come to believe that that is, a, that is a statement that I don't know whether we've arrived as yet. I think we experience pockets of that, but is that what the word of the Lord is saying? Right? So before we can move forward, actually, we must first become deeply dissatisfied with this current condition of the Christian Church. But mere dissatisfaction is not the end goal, folks, right? But the first step, as scripture puts it, is to really cast, cast my care, this concern that we have or that I have or that we all share in, in varying forms. That is the burden of this dissatisfaction over to the Lord. This burden, to cast it over The Lord. So cast your care upon Him, for He cares for you in 1 Peter 5 7. Meaning, He is genuinely, genuinely, genuinely interested in hearing what you are deeply concerned about. He is genuinely. When you go to churches, when you listen, when you. You know, it. it, it was interesting that 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 someone said this. That there are three aspects of what we call church, right? I mean, three key elements: worship, the message, and the other is church life or community life. Correct? Yes, Amen. Okay, cool. And I know uh, I I love I love interaction, so please. Feel free to interact with me. Hallelujah, thank you. And we, we, you can get sort of when I say you can get worship. Meaning, you can get worship listening to a YouTube or listening to online worship, Spotify or whatever. You can and you can sing with them. You know, I've, 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 I've tried when I was isolating and when I was on leave. At you know when I wasn't here on a Sunday morning, watching church online. So I'll. I can. I'll watch church online, and I actually wanted to have some uh, paraphernalia here. I'll, I'll. I'll. I can watch church online, and then I'll. I'll go, and. Uh, uh, and make myself a cup of tea. And I'll come back, and I'll. Sit down. Right. And then after a while, I'll get up and I'll think, oh, I actually, I feel like a snack. So I'll go and get a snack. Right? whilst Guy Three is going, oh, I will come and bow down at your feet, Lord Jesus. And I say, hang on a sec, let me go and get a snack. (laughs) (laughs) We do that, right? And then... Rachel will go, he is faithful, he is glorious, whoo, he is. And then I'll say, that's okay, I'm by myself, what am I to do? Stand up and down. Who else am I going to dance with? Here, okay, Rachel, you go for it, I'll just go and grab something else. You know, all of that happens, right? You are laughing, you know why? Because you do that, I'm sure. Or you at least know some people do that. So engaging in it is not easy because we have given ourselves permission to disengage. So we stay home and we disengage. Truth be told, please, be honest with yourselves. Let's be honest with ourselves. Don't pat yourself at the back and say you're really engaging. If you are, it's amazing. And sometimes that needs to happen. Folks, what I'm really addressing is a core issue, is a root issue, not just in your life, in mine, in the life of the church, the state of the church as we are in. Hence, I ask the question, does the future have a church? Because it depends on you and I, on how we navigate through this. It's not necessarily the government it's the enemy that has come with an onslaught, right? And we are fighting a force that needs a different sort of fight. So, when the enemy comes and pulls us away, just like how he came and he took Adam and Eve away from the thought that, oh, that tree is okay. It's, it's, you know, it, it says, I can't, you can't eat that, but... Uh, and then when he says... Are you sure that you will really die? And so he takes you away from the the actual uh, message from the Lord. The actual directive from the Lord. And the directive from the Lord to the church is this. To us as disciples is what? Go and make disciples. And then he reversed the entire sense of confusion from the Tower of Babel. How did he reverse that? On the day of Pentecost. When he brought the greatest sense of unity that man ever could come across, could ever experience, through the release of the Holy Spirit. The speaking in other tongues that many others could understand. And so he reversed that entire, that entire situation and brought this about. That we are united and that we can achieve the sense of unity. But church, for those of you who are watching online and here, please. You know, when, when, when Kev was saying about we have a circulation aspect, you know what I thought, not blood, I thought people, we all circulate. We're here some weeks, and then we're here another. And then, you know, we all just circulate. It's like a revolving door that goes around. Yeah. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Right? So the first thing I said, I mentioned about this dissatisfaction. The second aspect is this, this element where it says, God, Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Amen. So the second thing that we need to do to see change happen is, is what? Is, is actually repent. To repent. We see the sin of division for what it is. Next, we become grieved by what we see. And finally, we, turn, we, we actually turn away from, from the, 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 the repulses. You know, what really begins to repulse us? And we walk in the opposite direction. Because our, our spiritual eyes need to be open, folks. For our blindness, to our, so that our, our condition doesn't ensnares as such. More and more, I find that my eyes are being opened to things. More and more, I'm starting to realize, dude, you've actually got some fears that you have within, that you've seriously got to deal with. So what does God do in his, in, in his love and, and mercy? He pushes us. He actually invites us. But we feel it's a push. I don't know about you, but I feel it's just a push. He's just like pushing you like that. But it's actually an invitation to stand on the edge. It's an invitation to trust. It's an invitation to have faith. It's an invitation to see this God... The only way we can please this God is by going by faith. That's the only way. It's by obeying Him completely. Not 98%, but completely. Right? So, tolerating one another and actually, even in a civil way, civilly toward one another, is really evidence of what? Good manners. When I tolerate you, I'm I'm being respectful. Or oh, you're you you older than me, so I respect you. But I'm just am just I'm just tolerating you. Right? I don't believe that is unity. Civil behavior alone will not set us, set us apart from the world living in a polite world does not make us one let's be peace keepers not peacemakers let's just keep the peace just keep the peace guys let's just keep the peace don't say anything to ruffle you know how people think and what people will say but then on the other hand as well don't go and egg people on too The Lord says to always speak the truth in love. If we don't know how to speak it in love, then don't speak the truth. We love putting it here this way. Many just love speaking the truth. You know, many of us sometimes, we just love speaking the truth. But we at times don't speak the truth in love. Because we, we seriously, I, I, don't, I don't think a lot of us like to ruffle feathers. You know, I, I want my brother Ian to really love me and, and, and walk with me. If I say something that really ruffles his feather, he's going to spend a few days really, you know, being upset with me. So why do I want to make him upset? He's, he's older than me. You know, let me be kind to him. And, and, you know, we, we think like that, and people think of me like that too, you know. And so that's as opposed to what Scripture says, as, as, as opposed to... So how then, when we can't apply the, to the magnitude of what the promise or, or Scripture is, how can we ever achieve a sense of unity in accordance to our theology, in accordance to the Word of God? Today, I decided to not just bring my phone because I wanted to carry my Bible... Hallelujah! Today, you know, because otherwise, you know, you take your phone, and then the best book to read is the phone, is the iPhone, right? We used to sing this song before. The best book to read is the Bible. The best book to read is the Bible. It will, and then, and it'll lead you on your way. Oh, the best book to read is the iPad iPhone or whatever it is, right? But I mean, I, you, you know what we mean here. We we we're not shooting anyone down with an iPhone or iPad, but just the just the sense of where things go, and when things are not brought back into perspective. So today is about, you know. I I wasn't expecting that that kind of a offering message today, but it's like a, okay, that's that's good. It's it's good for us to hear that. You know, to me it was not much of it was not much a correction as it was actually a real encouragement. Because I'm encouraged to now take the word of God for what it is. So don't take it as a correction, folks. Take it as a as as a total and encouraging word. Because when you do that, you will see what happens to your situation too. Amen. So. What are, what we're aiming for is, a much, is much higher than something that mere men can do. We need, we really need genuine Christian unity. And which is what the Apostle Paul writes about. So the church is really, church is fractured in many pieces. You know, it's like a 5,000-piece puzzle that needs to be put together. And if you've worked on puzzles like that, you realize that it takes patience, it takes time. And when one piece is missing, it's a horrible thing. You know, you work through everything and you suddenly find one piece is missing. And so church life is like that. There are so many different pieces of the puzzle. And so we begin to wonder why is it that we haven't completed the puzzle because there are missing pieces, folks. So just out of out of curiosity, are you aware that there are thirty-eight thousand different denominations? (laughs) Folks, spiritual blindness is a serious curse over us. There are believers who are grieved by our disunity. But there's little evidence that most Christians are aware that, that that sorry of the of the division that exists, or much less bothered by them. So we are, we are grieved by this unity, but what are we doing in 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 regards to actually really doing something serious about it? Because church div- division is as natural as fishes to water. Division is the environment that we live in. It's the way things are. It's, re- it's the real pandemic. Or whether we want to call it the pandemic, Because this is, this is planned by the enemy to begin to disunite us. Dissension seems entirely natural to us. But we don't seem to know of any other way. You know, friends and families that... that uh, that, that fight and argue all the time are often not even aware that they're doing it because it's simply the way they have learned to interact. They might even miss fighting if it's it ceased and have no idea how else to actually begin to act. So our, our condition is Somewhat similar. You know, one writer puts it this way, we are terribly divided and yet rarely think about it. We do not feel badly about our condition because it is all we have ever known. It is all we have ever known because this is what it is. We have not tasted the unity of heaven. We have not fully tasted the unity of the kingdom. We talk shock but we don't shop-shop. We have, we, have, we have prayer and worship movements that bring hundreds and thousands of people together and assume that alone to be unity. I mean, it certainly is helping and the need of change is happening, but it somewhat feels that it is often event-based. So, I believe it needs to start with the individual being desperate for it and embracing true humility. Each of us really embracing true humility in order to be fully, un- fully in-, in full unity. Right? Now, let's look and learn from the best. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 it says this Then God said, Let us make mankind in our, in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the, birds in the, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Here we find that in the presence of true and total unity, that which was spoken actually really happened. Because the Trinity, it says, let us make men, not let me, right? Let us. So within the context of the Trinity, when there was... Within the context of the Trinity, there was just, there was just total unity. There was not a speck or an aorta or, 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 or a, a piece of puzzle that was missing. It was perfect unity. And when perfect unity spoke something happened. Friends, that's what I want to, I really want to emphasize that when perfect unity spoke, something happened. Hallelujah. I I believe Psalm 133 says that when brethren begin to dwell together in unity, the anointing begins to flow. Amen. Not your idea, not my idea of unity. It is his notion, his idea of what unity is. So, everything that we know of as creation simply happened as a result of total unity. Jesus, in John chapter 10, verse 30, says this I and the Father are one. Now, in that chapter, he refutes the Pharisees for wanting to stone him on the charges of blasphemy because he says he and the Father are one. But he draws their attention to the works that he is doing and says this in verse 37. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may, not, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So here's a powerful portion of Scripture that says that this sense of, of, of unity and oneness made it work. Because note... Jesus was also 100% man. And he functioned in miracles as that. Because there was this sense of of real total unity. So we see the power of oneness that really displayed the true essence of unity. There's one more passage. Instead, this is in um, Philippians chapter two. Instead, he gave up, his divine privileges, and he took on, he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. What was that all about? What was it about for Jesus? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Folks, as you're joining us online, what what do you think that passage is telling us about that Jesus had, had undertook? Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. What word comes to mind for you? To me, the only word that comes to mind is mission. That he was so consumed with the mission that he was willing to do what it took in order to fulfill that mission. And if that mission meant, I have to take on this form, I will do it. Because the mission was the most important. Could you imagine Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit having a conversation of differing opinions? Jesus says, Father, before I agree, I'd like you to send the Holy Spirit to Raki the place. Send him down to planet Earth to first check out the viability of human response. How many are actually going to be saved? If I do this... Do you think we'll get our target? What's your target, Father? Can you imagine that kind of conversation happening? Can we consider another way of not involving me to give up my rights and to humble myself to a people who actually, in the first place, rejected your initial kindness and extreme generosity? Holy Spirit, can you please help with this? Because Dad doesn't seem convinced. That we gave them the world and they decided they decided in their greed and, and 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 wants to want more and handed that over that ownership to the serpent to Satan. Now Satan rules the world and I have to go and attend and masquerade for thirty-three years. In the form of a human, to reclaim the very thing that was simply give, that was given to them, and they simply gave it away i want to I want to take you I need to really bring this to uh I forgot to mention I am doing this as a part one, part two, part three, maybe part four. This is because I I realize that I I don't think. I I don't think I can fluff over this. And I I I really don't want to. Because, I feel an indictment from the Lord. I feel an invitation from the Lord, to really begin to. To delve deeper and speak about the context of the church. He is giving us an amazing opportunity to reframe things, to begin to re, restructure things. Paul talks about in Corinthians, in Corinthians chapter 12, 1 chapter 12. He talks about the context of the spiritual gifts and all of that happening in the church, right? So let, let me give you a, a, a quick brief, um, in, a, a, a brief background of the church in, in Corinth. So Corinth was a bustling metropolis, right? Metropolis, rather. With three harbors on a rugged coastline where good, good seaports are rare to actually find. Right, Julius Caesar rebuilt Corinth as a Roman colony in 44 BC, employing the services of a widely diverse population of uh, veteran legions, freed slaves, and so on and so forth. He conscripted, uh, conscripted all of them. Right, the rebuilt city was less than a hundred years old when Paul really established the church there, but it was a hustling and a, and, and a bustling place. So, so it was. It was. It was this rebuilt Corinth that our, and what this writer is doing is, he's, he's now comparing, imagine if you and I now were to go with Paul and visit Corinth. Right. So imagine that now. So there had been a great harvest of souls upon Paul's visit to Corinth with many new converts added to the kingdom of God. Many of those new believers had come from the city's lower social classes, right? The apostle had spent considerable amount of time in Corinth establishing the church. So he was aware of the nature of its many challenges. Even though the move of the Holy Spirit had been mighty in Corinth, the church had a tendency towards spiritual immaturity. Believers quarreled with one another and tended towards excess even in spiritual matters. So the Corinthian church was blessed by, as I mentioned, spiritual gifts, but at the same time was overly tolerant of moral moral failures amongst its members. The issue that troubled Paul was most, about this church, however, was its strong tendency towards division. I'm with Apollos. Right? And so there were different 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 bands, different different groups. I'm with this apostle. And in fact he actually says this, frankly, he says, calling them a bunch of babies. He says, I fed you with milk And not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men. So he's speaking on the context of division. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not calmer? Hence, I started off saying earlier, I'm of this vaccination standard. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm double, now I'm triple. Now I'm, I can wear a mask. Oh, I'm exempt of this. I'm, and so it begins to divide because people come now. Are you? Is, is it okay when you see someone with, with a mask? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'm wearing a mask, and when I'm walking out and I pass someone, and I don't know why, I was just telling I think I was telling our elders this the other day, of, or, or someone I was saying, subconsciously I hold my breath. And then I walk past them and say, why in the world did I hold my breath for? So there are so many real things that are happening to us folks. So many things are conditioning us without us really often even realizing that. And so the Word of God, the theology of... And, and, and so when, if you come to church, and if I just give you you know, uh, milk, what's the point? If I just kind of, you know, make you feel good and and, and go home, oh, it was good. You know, he, he shared some really nice things and stuff like that. And so you go, no, that's not what church should be. We should really address particular issues that's really dividing the church asking the question that, okay, I can get worship when I watch. I can uh, watch YouTube or this or that. I can get a message. You know, you, you may not want to listen to my message today online, right? You can turn and listen to Bill, uh, what's his name? Bill, Bill Johnson, that's right. Who's that? Praise God. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hallelujah. <laughs> I didn't expect that, but that was good. I, I take that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but the third aspect of, com- of communal living, community, friendship, you cannot get it on a virtual platform. And you know, I feel bad that we have in a way as well just pushed a lot of people to a virtual platform. So hence I'm asking the question about our mission. So many are feeling more comfortable. Or are saying no it's because of safety reasons, yeah. Probably it is that. But I ask you today, folks. You know which camera do I look at? I ask you folks. Oh, that camera, sorry. Ask you folks. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Examine your heart with the Lord. This is no judgment, seriously. There's no guilt, there's no shame. There's just a real appeal. There's a genuine appeal for you to consider body life, church life. you can only get in a setting like this when you come together you can have your worship you, you can worship to some extent but you cannot worship the way you worship in this house in a corporate setting I'm not saying you throw away all your cares and all your concerns no but bring it into the context of the real sense of what God is actually speaking and saying to you, revisit that once again. Ask yourself, what is it doing to you deep within? What is it doing to the body? What is it doing to the church? Because next week I'll talk about the context of Ephesians 4, 6, that each one of us are contributing one to another. So the absence of one... Matters. It really, really does. Right. So, to the church at Corinth, which, to to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul begins to say. Right, he begins to encourage them because here he's talking about the context of them still needing milk at this place, right? And then he takes them, and now this writer begins to say this now. Imagine now we go back into Corinth now. So he walks to, to Corinth and as he goes to this Grecian city, right, in Greece. It says we've we we travel for a short time. So this is Paul and his newfound friend. So it is us going in. Right. We travel for a short time when we noticed a large wooden sign, situated off to the side of the road. "Welcome to Corinth," was carved deeply into this dark wooden signage. Surrounding the sign was a knee-high wall of mortar bricks, with 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 bright flowers planted in the moist ground around the post and all of that. And now Paul says, that's new. I didn't see that before. So the large Greek letters were easy to read even from a distance. Beneath the welcome to Corinth sign was another long narrow sign which was suspended from the sign above by by the shiny brass chain. The lower sign read, Population, 756,816 people. As we drew nearer, we saw that below the population sign hung still another. It was a long and narrow like the one above, but smaller. In orange letters read, Corinth's churches and synagogues welcome you. Below that sign, hanging from it, were a dozen were dozens and dozens of still smaller signs, all hanging in neat rows, connected by chains, forming three long columns and so on and so forth. As he drew close enough to read the rows of smaller signs, Paul stopped and simply stared. With, with his furrowed brow, he slowly scanned the list, his head turning from side to side, lips moving in a low whisper as he read above about midway down the column's Of the names, Paul turned and looked at each of us. On his face was the expression of shock and dismay. There was a hint of something else too, but it was hard to read. Finally, he spoke, his low voice carrying a firmness that made the rest of us shrink back a bit. What does this mean, he asked. How can there be so many churches? We were silent, unable to answer. We all read some more. There were a lot more of names on that sign. And except for one or two, none of us ever heard of them. Some of the words sounded familiar, but had never seen them used in the context of a church name. Familiar sounding words like Baptist, Pentecostals, Episcopalian, Congregationalists, Presbyterians were used more than once, but were joined with other words like first or free or united, as if to ensure that that those reading the sign would recognize that they were somehow not the same as other churches with similar names. Other names such as Lutheran, Wesleyan, and Methodist were entirely foreign to us. Some signs used words like Catholic, Orthodox, Reformed, Latter-day Saints, and Jehovah. We were familiar with the words, of course, but not in the same way in which they were used. The apostle glanced towards the city gate, still a quarter of a mile away. He turned and he looked behind at those approaching where we stood, as if looking for for his answer among them. An older man dressed, in a fine purple robe and a white turban was passing by. Abruptly, Paul stepped towards the man, his hand raised politely, gesturing the merchant to stop. Excuse me, sir. The man, startled by the sudden interruption, led his donkey to the side of the road. He whispered something to the animal and so on. Goes on and he says, Paul says, Please, the apostle began gesturing towards the sign. Can you tell me, what is the meaning of this list of churches? So note, this is the Apostle Paul that formed that, that pioneered the church in Corinth. And now he comes back in today's day and age, with us. Can you tell me what is the meaning of the list of these churches? When I was in Corinth last, there was only one church in the city. one church. Not just, you know, Casey Cedric, but it's this one church that he's talking about, right? And now there are scores, all with different names. How did this happen? The merchant shook his head. I have no idea, friend. I don't go to any of them. I have a business to run and a family to look after. Frankly, I am not a very religious man. The man continued gesturing towards the sign. Listen, even if I wanted to go to church, I don't know which one I choose. The Christians in this city say they are people of the way. It appears there is not just one way, but many, because these churches all disagree with one another and believe different things. How would a simple merchant like me know which one is right? Besides, I don't think church people like each other. They argue and fight over things that I don't understand and don't care about. So this is a non-church goer saying. They all have their own buildings and meet separately. Each thinks theirs is the right church and all of the others are wrong. It's confusing and unappealing to an outsider like me. So I run my business live my life and ignore them all. Like I said, if I ever wanted to go, if I want if I ever wanted to start going to church, how would I ever choose? The word of the Lord says that if we, are, if we love one another and if we're united, the world will know. That in itself is evangelism, without us even going out and evangelizing. Friends, now, now do you understand why I'm saying that? We need to truly understand what it means to be one body. Not in the context of what we know it to be. But the sense of oneness has to really be reinvestigated. It needs to be reimagined. You know, I'm, I, 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 I've been really struggling to, to even share this because it's, to me, it's not an easy message because, I feel responsible. How can a how can any pastor not feel responsible? How can any elder, any leader, anyone in ministry can't be responsible? As I've shared with some, with our staff recently I said there's a difference between blame and responsibility. None of us, I'm not blaming anyone here but I'm saying that there is a responsibility element that we need to consider, that we are responsible for where things are. Let me just close with this. You heard about our church, and you heard about the context of where we are. I mean, we just shared with you financially where things are. And we know the hardship of, you know, genuinely people are going through, people have lost jobs, they've lost so many different things, but also the the point is this, that I think when, when you don't come, you probably don't consider the value in giving. But you know, when God... That's why I say he invites us or we feel pushed. I didn't feel an invitation. <laughs> because I can't feel an invitation. I can't feel an invitation for, for a pay cut. I can feel an invitation for a pay rise. <laughs> but For a pay cut, no way. But you know the the interesting thing was this that as I was praying that morning, that's why for me, I, and, I, and I say, you know, in in order to seek the Lord in getting, you know, getting some sort of sense of peace within, of of oneness, so that I am one with Him in this decision. Not just one with my wife, not just one with my with my fellow pastors, but one with Him. And so as I was praying that morning, He drew me to a verse in Genesis chapter 31 where Jacob speaks to Rachel and says, you know your father cheated me ten times of my wage but I had no harm. No harm came to me. And I was thinking to myself no one's cheating us as such, you know. I'm, I'm not cheating them either, are they cheating us? But that context of The change that is starting that that is happening that you know you're uncertain. That brings the sense of of anxiety, of concern. What next, Lord? Do, Do I even have the right to share this at church? Does it feel like as if I'm twisting their arm? Absolutely not, folks. Don't ever give because you feel that. Don't ever do it because you feel it is a lead a leading from the Lord do it because it's a principle that you find in scripture because when you only when you stand on a principle will you will you benefit from that principle if you do it because someone has forced you you will not ever benefit from that so then you must ask yourself why can't I trust the Lord in this then because you, need, you and I need to come to that place of oneness in, in our mind and in our spirit. In order for us to experience the miracles that we are, to, that we are praying and that we are wanting to see happen, in, in order to experience the kind of revival that we're wanting to see happen, there needs to come a oneness in, how, in what I believe. That my spirit is intertwined with God. That is why Jesus is... Was able to say I will take on the form of man Because there was this deep Connection There was this deep sense of unity Even in the garden When that was challenged He said but not my will But your will be done This is not an easy road But it is a road that we need to travel Amen. It is a road that we need to absolutely travel. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for the reason stop being part of that body. Correct? It'll still be part of that body. Verse 16, And if a ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason stop being part of that body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But if the fact, but in fact God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. There are many parts but one. There may be there are many churches, but one church. That's what Paul was talking about. You know, a a pastor who is now a mentor to us, told me this. When we first planted, can we use the name of your church, Casey City Church? You know, you call it Casey City Church in Casey, and it said. Let's say, Uniting Church, Casey City Church. Methodist Church, Casey City Church. So that means we are, it's not our church, it's not us, but it's the church in Casey. You know that we are the church. Today, no one out there really knows where to go to. Why would I go to this church? Why would I go to that? I had someone who recently came to the Lord ask me this question. I can't understand why you would not want to go to church regularly. I didn't know how to answer that. I was just thinking in the back of my mind. Just give it about six months, give it about a year. You'll probably fall in line. You know why? Because you see what everyone else is doing. So we've created a oneness over something else that is not theologically sound, that is not biblically accurate. That is convenience-based. So the, the, the eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unrepresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving great honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is dishonored, every part rejoices with it. Folks, I, I don't want to do this thing of trying to kind of soften things and re-explain things. I'm sharing it as I feel led to share. And I want you to really take this to the Lord. And I want you to answer this question. Anything and everything that you make as, as, as decisions, whatever decision that you make, flick that decision through the context of the mission that Jesus himself considered. The mission. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Jesus. Just take take a moment and just reflect in. We're not going to sing another song just gonna just gonna end here today. So for those of you who are joining us online as well, folks, if you've just stepped up to go and make yourself a coffee, just come back and sit down. Just sit and just reflect and say, Lord, how am I adding to division? How can I add to unity? Again, we're not talking about uniformity here, but we're talking about unity. unforgiveness that I carry hindering me from unity because there's a sense of division. Has unbelief, has fear, worry. Whatever it is. Say Lord, I cast my care upon you. For I know you cared for me. Father, today I pray especially, Lord, that a special grace be released upon each and every one of us. Upon those of us who've joined us online, those of us who are here, Lord, and those of us who may listen to this again. Let there come a special grace. A real special grace, Lord, Father, of what it means. What it means to truly humble ourselves and embrace the mission before us, Lord Father. That draws unity, that brings us into unity. That's it. Let us be one. That we may we may literally reclaim the power of oneness, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that there is hope in this because you've shown us how, the, how possible it is. You've, you've displayed all of that to us. So today we are, we are, whilst maybe uncertain, there is a certainty that in you we can actually really achieve this, Lord. Because your word says we are one spirit. We are one faith and we are one body. Father, we bless you, we thank you. May your face continue to shine upon us, Lord, this week, these days before us, Lord, as we reflect, as we reconsider, as we reimagine, Lord. Let us begin to recommit Lord, once again. We thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. Church, for those of you particularly online, thank you. You know, continue to um, jump on our website if you need more information, if you need prayer, please feel free to come forward. We'll be more than happy to pray for you. God bless you. and. And the, oh yes, sorry, and the AGM for those of you who are members uh, in particular, please AGM